Welcome to the TIPBS podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kay Eyre. Each episode, I will discuss strategies and ideas for educators in supporting students with trauma. Today, I interview Dr. Dave Ziegler. Dr. Ziegler is a psychologist and therapist whose career has focused on helping victims of severe trauma. He is the co-founder and director of Jasper Mountain, a world-renowned healing facility for children aged 3 to 12 years. Located on more than 90 acres of beautiful forest land, programs include a residential treatment facility, an integrated school, an assessment and crisis centre, and a foster care program. Jasper Mountain has consistently achieved remarkable outcomes for some of the most severely traumatised children in the USA for over 30 years. Dr Ziegler is the author of several books, including Raising Children Who Refuse to Be Raised, Achieving Success with Impossible Children and Traumatic Experience and the Brain. Dr. Ziegler offers us incredibly practical insights into supporting students who have suffered neglect and abuse. This is part one of my interview with him. I hope you find it useful. Dr. Ziegler, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Kay. Uh, I appreciate the invitation and uh, you sound like you're across the room rather than across the world. That's great. It's good, isn't it? Technology is a wonderful thing. Yes. So what I was wondering was if we could start by talking about your background and what you brought to working with children and young people with developmental trauma. Yes, I started my career actually in in the state of Arizona down in the desert, a long way from uh, the forest here in Oregon. But my career began as a family therapist. And although I really believe in family therapy and see how much value it can bring, there was a percentage of children uh, that we couldn't really reach on an outpatient basis because their their serious issues went beyond what we could touch, uh, meeting once a week or even twice a week. And so uh, with some uh, colleagues, we decided that we would want to, we wanted to focus on the most difficult children. And so we began looking uh, around the United States for the healthiest place we could find to set up a a center that would be a place of healing and learning to see if there is a way that we could get to the most serious kids and help them so that they didn't become the casualties of society either criminal justice or drug and alcohol programs or abusing their own kids. So my first 10 years was an outpatient therapist. And then in the last 35, I have been working with the most severe kids that I can find at at our center here in uh, Jasper Mountain. Wow. Thank you. That's, yeah, remarkable. In your paper, Optimum Learning Environments for Traumatized Children, You write about some of the reasons why traumatized children don't do so well at school. So what do you see as the biggest challenges for these students to succeed at school? Well, first of all, let me start with the challenge for adults. Uh, I I never want to uh, understate uh, how difficult it is for a teacher who is given a classroom of these young children who all learn a little different. They all come from different backgrounds and to try to get them to move the next step in the academic ladder uh, is a real difficult job. But what is even more difficult is when some of the kids in the classroom have had a history of trauma. Mm -hmm. And what trauma does 
in terms of getting in the way of learning is that uh, trauma uh, really changes the brain and how information is processed by children. It changes perceptions. It changes the ability of children to be vulnerable and to, which is a very important aspect of learning. It, it teaches kids that they can't uh, trust some adults. Maybe they can't trust any adults. Uh, there is a close connection between learning disabilities, things that get in the way either of reading or understanding math facts or the, the various aspects of, of the educational process. Learning disabilities and complex trauma often come together. Uh, what trauma also does is it produces this syndrome that everybody has heard of, which is fight or flight. Yep. Uh, and when, when symbols or recollections of trauma come up in the academic setting, either kids will fight or act out, or they will, they will flee, which is sometimes to go into their own space and many teachers will, uh, will consider these kids to be daydreamers or what we call in psychology dissociators. Uh, but sometimes it's simply the way that the brain is handling reminders that come up in the classroom or triggers related to trauma. In the United States, our schools are not designed to help the children with with significant trauma learn because you really have to approach them differently. And if we do not reach these children, uh, they continue with their uh, learning disabilities. They continue to see education, uh, that what we call valuable education, is not particularly useful to them. Their brains are designed and they are focused on survival uh, and learning about uh, language arts, learning about history, learning about math uh, is a stretch to have a traumatized child really feel like that information is important to them. What they're concerned about is how can I be safe tonight from my alcoholic father? How can I keep uh, Uncle Charlie this weekend from coming into my room sexually abusing me? Those are the important things to traumatize kids. And somehow the, the things that we want to teach them that, that will help them in the long run, uh, we first have to help them see that it's important. Yep, and they have to have room, don't they, in their little minds to even begin. Yes, they do. You and know, the whole, yeah. The whole issue, once again, of vulnerability. The traumatized brain does not want to be vulnerable. It does not want to be hurt again. And you cannot learn without being vulnerable. You cannot learn without make, making mistakes. And, and that is a real difficult challenge for kids that have had trauma. Okay, so, yeah. Could you talk to us about the model of education that you have at Jasper Mountain and how it's been designed to be trauma-informed? Yes, I, uh, when I say you have to teach these kids differently, of course you don't have to, but they won't learn a great deal. But if you want to reach them, uh, here are some of the factors that we have found to be very helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, uh, the educational process, what is natural? For, well, let me, let me preface what I'm going to say. Sure. Uh, I, I don't say this, I haven't said this in the past, but many people have come to me with this, and they've said, well, aren't some of your ideas helpful for all children and not just traumatized children? I will leave that to the reader's uh, uh, decision. 
but uh, let's start with, with trauma. Some of these things might be helpful for, for all kids, but for traumatized kids, what we have found are some of these components, that the educational process is very active rather than passive. Uh, many times in classroom settings, the children are given a desk, they sit in their desk, they're, they're told to be silent, they're told to raise their hand, they're told to do their seat work, and it's, we are gonna give you things and you just take it in. We do the opposite. We have a very active process. The children are physically up and, and, and active. They are going to learning centers throughout the room. They, every half an hour or so, we stop the process and we might put on some music. They might do some dancing. They might uh, get very active and then stop and then go back to a learning process. But it is an active thing which most children are very, very used to. Uh, I won't spend a lot of time on each one of these because I just want to touch on, on, on many of the, the items. Mm, uh, we thank tried, you. We try to remove, ne remove negative stress. Uh, too often in our, our schools, we have a competitive, and I'll come back to competition in a few minutes, but we have a competitive kind of setup where let's see who can do the best job on this math test or this spelling test. And, and it produces stress for all children, but sometimes that is positive stress. And positive stress can be a really important uh, motivator for learning, but not negative stress. We try to eliminate any kind of negative stress because negative stress for kids that have had trauma uh, will produce this fight or flight response. We want an expressive environment. We want, to, we want kids to express their opinions. We want them drawing things, writing things, singing things. Uh, the environment has to be fun. Now, in my learning experience <laughs> many years ago, uh, that was not the goal of many of my teachers, is to make it a fun process. But I believe that not only children learn more when they're having fun, I think adults learn more when they're having fun. Yes, I think, I think we'd agree, yes. Uh, we also need to be very careful in what we call adult-mediated activity. What I mean by that is there are adults right there that protect other children if somebody wants to bully them, make fun of them. Uh, it doesn't take very long for a child to, to take a risk and try to give an answer or try to do something they're not very good at. And if they're made fun of, that immediately will stop. So we need adults to be right there on, on site and helping the, the, this to be a, a positive process rather than any kind of, of children taking advantage of other children and making them feel bad. The situation must be pre predictable. We have our schedules up on the board. The kids know what's coming next. We try to give them about a five-minute warning when there's a transition. Kids with trauma do a lot better when they can predict that here comes a transition to math or we're going to go to lunch next or we're going to go out to recess. Whatever it is, it needs to be predictable. Kids need to have more successes than failures. And too often, of course, when you don't know something, you're going to make lots of mistakes but we also have to build in the factor that kids will be successful in some ways because none of us will continue to do something we continue to fail at. The classroom needs to be based on relationship. It has to be between the individual and the teachers. What we do in our classrooms 
is we have, and we're, we're privileged to do this with our, with our resources, but we have no more than 10 children. Uh, they're all traumatized kids, but 10 children in a classroom, and we have three teachers. Right. I was going to ask you about, you know, ratios, yeah. When I say teachers, one of them is a certified special ed teacher with a master's degree, and the other two uh, teachers, teachers' aides, uh, are what we call their direct care staff, they're our treatment team staff that are trained in mental health issues. So we have both the mental health and we have the academics in the classroom at the same time. I said I'd come back to competition. Let me say something about competition. Competition can be a, a real motivator for kids to learn, but it can also stop the process cold. And what traumatized kids need is what I call even competition. Now, even competition means there is a winner and there can be a loser, which can teach us about life, but every child has an equal chance of winning. Now, if we go out and have a race, the fastest child is going to win. If we, if we have a, a test on math, the child that's the smartest is going to win. But you have to change that competitive process so all kids have a chance of winning, or we have found they will simply not compete. Uh, the last thing I'm going to mention, and, and we could go on with, with some of our approaches, but we put much more emphasis on cooperation than competition. We want kids learning together. We want them teaching each other. We want some of the kids that are a little bit older, more skilled, helping some of the younger kids. It's one of the best ways to learn something is to teach someone else. So that there's a list of about 10 different things that we use to, to really change the environment in the classroom so that it is conducive for these kids to learn. Okay, Dave, can I just ask you, I, I was just thinking as you were speaking there, um, are the children in what we, what we would call here family groupings or are they, are they, do you have older children with younger children, are they in, in like um, mixed, mixed age groupings in your space or are they a bit more like formal schooling where they're sort of segregated into their early childhood middle middle years and and older students well let me first give you theory and then i'll give you practice the theory that i had uh years ago when we started our school in 1989 was that we wanted to go back to the one-room schoolhouse where everybody learned together uh and we actually did that for a number of years but when our numbers started getting up to 30, 40, 50, 60, and we're now up to 80 children. Right. We, can't, we can't do that all in one room. No. But if I had my way, I would have, uh, I, we have kind of invented school. Mo the modern school is, is sort of the, the way Henry Ford built motor cars. Uh, we're assembly lines. We, we think, in first grade, we're going to teach them this. In second grade, we're going to put tires on. In third grade, we're going to put the muffler on. Fourth grade, we'll add the engine. Yep. Uh, and, and I think it makes much more sense to have a older children learning with younger children, younger children seeing the modeling of older children. And we, we, we don't have these what I call age ghettos where all the kids uh, are, are the same working through the years of schooling. Uh, what we do is we combine kids by abilities rather than age. 
So you could have a much younger child with an older child if their ability of, in reading or in math or in language arts or some of these, these topics, uh, we still will combine them by ability groups rather than simply uh, uh, ages. Right. In your paper, you write about the need to unschool educational environments so as not to trigger past memories of school failure. Could you tell us a bit about what you mean by this? Well, the, the specifics that I just walked through, I mm -hmm. would not fit for most of my own schooling. Now, I think I will also uh, grant that some of the new approaches to education might have incorporated things like cooperative learning and te kids teaching other children. So some of that has been brought in and maybe a more active kind of environment than sitting at your desk all day. Uh, some of those things have come into education, but not nearly enough to traumatize kids. When I, when I say that we need to develop the unschool, something very different than school, what I mean is that school has developed a, the kids have a perception, kids have been traumatized, have a perception of school as the place where they go and they look stupid and they feel stupid and teachers are there to point out all of their mistakes and make them feel worse. Now, that doesn't have anything to do with what good teachers are actually doing, but that's the, the misperception of kids that have been traumatized. And so what we need to do is have them get a new perception of what happens in school. And of course, where we want to get is school is a resource. School is where you will learn what you need to succeed in life. And a teacher is somebody that is a resource person for you to meet your goals. So when I talk about the unschool, I'm saying that, that it needs to feel different, it needs to look different, it needs to be different. That the education process needs to fit the child rather than try to fit the child into the educational process. All kids learn a little bit differently, and we need to spend the time to find out how individual children learn, and then build a fun, exciting, active process around them so that they can, our, our ultimate goal is this, okay, and that is to instill a, a real love of lifelong learning. Yeah. We don't just want them to get up to their grade level or uh, succeed in their, their testing or this kind of thing. We want them excited about learning. And if you think about it, there is nothing that should be easier than to get a child to get excited about learning. And somehow in our educational process, we have turned off a lot of children so that it is not much fun and it's not exciting anymore. No, and I would suggest that <laughs> The teachers would feel the same way, a lot of them too, wouldn't they? Well, yes. And I, again, I think that if we do not have excited, happy teachers, we don't have excited, happy students. That was my interview with Dr. Dave Ziegler, psychologist and therapist at the world-renowned Jasper Mountain Facility for Children and Young People. To hear the rest of my interview with him, please sign up to our newsletter at www.tipbs.com. Com. On the website, you will also find the show notes for this episode and links to his paper, Optimal Learning Environments for Traumatised Students. The website again 
is www.tipbs.com. Thank you and see you next time.